It's summertime, and we're in our summer series here at Milestone Church. In our summer series, we'll hear from some of our staff pastors, as well as some honored guest speakers. If you're listening to Milestone Church for the first time, we want to encourage you to check out some of the best series so far this year. If you find yourself with extra time, maybe traveling for summer vacation, we highly recommend checking out our series called Happy. Happy is a three-week series we hosted in March talking about this idea of happiness, why it's so elusive, and what the Bible says about it. We'd also like to recommend checking out one of our most talked about series every year, Let's Talk Family. In this series, Pastor Jeff talks about what's often our greatest joy, but can also be our greatest source of pain, and that's family. We look at the practical ways that we can lead our families based on biblical principles. You can watch these series more at our website, milestonechurch.com messages. And now to this week's message. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for, for tuning in online. You may be traveling uh, this weekend. We're so glad you made the time to jump in and join us online here. The first verse we're gonna look at though is in Ephesians chapter three. And this is the apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says this. Verse 17, he says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Right at the start of the summer this year, took my family on the Great American Vacation, and we went to the Grand Canyon. Now, if you've ever been in the Grand Canyon, you can realize why it's called the Grand Canyon. This thing is, it's massive, and that's what the draw is. That's what the allure is, because it's the biggest thing you've ever seen. Let me help you understand this. To understand size of something, we need some dimensional context. Like you don't look at the clouds and think, man, those clouds are really high, but you look at a skyscraper, right, that climbs into the clouds, you're like, man, that building is really high. Think about the Grand Canyon is it has dimension to it. It's got depth and width and length and height that you can actually capture. It's literally the biggest bite you can take visually and consume and process in your mind. And no matter how big you think it may be, when you see it, it's bigger because there's nothing even in your imagination to comprehend the size that it is. That's why there's this draw. So let me give you some of these dimensions here. So it's 18 miles wide. It's 227 miles long. It's as high as three of the New York City Freedom Towers stacked on top of each other. And it's a mile deep into the earth. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand if you've been. Yeah, quite a few of you. Probably about 30% have been to the Grand Canyon. For those of you who haven't, though, when I went, I was thinking of you. I got a little video here from a, a helicopter ride over the canyon. Watch this with me. Here we are going from 100 feet above the treetops to within a second, over a mile in the sky, 5,000 feet above the canyon. You can see the Colorado River there in the distance. It looks kind of small, but it's over a football field wide. You see 40 layers of sedimentary rock, the different colors. It's actually down into the core of the earth is what we're looking at. It's the hole down in the core of the earth. So I was at the Grand Canyon with my family and I've been before, but this time with them, but I'm experiencing anew with them. And 
we get there and we walk to the edge and we look out at this spance and as I'm standing there, looking at it, taking it all in, what happens is this living, active word of God, this scripture just begins to just bounce around in my head. Back to Paul's words in Ephesians 3.18, it says, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. As I sat there processing this verse and what I'm looking at, and it makes sense that why this verse came to mind because what I'm looking at is actually it's the widest, longest, highest, deepest structure that God has ever made, at least that we can see and enjoy, and that we've found. Maybe on another planet, I don't know, but on Earth, that's it. That is the biggest. It's as if Apostle Paul was able to see it. Instead of these words, he may have said, like, his love, it's, it's greater, it's bigger than the Grand Canyon. So I'm processing this, and then the verse continues, and I'm thinking about it. It says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to, the, filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. It's the key to Paul's prayer that you know this love that surpasses knowledge. See, there's a difference between knowing intellectually and knowing experientially. There's a difference between head knowing and heart knowing. For those of you who have been to the Grand Canyon, you've experienced it. For those of you who have just seen a two-dimensional video and heard about the statistics, the dimensions, you, kind of, you know intellectually. My kids are going to grow up and they're going to read about the Grand Canyon and their science books or history books. and They're not just going to know it intellectually, though, because they've experienced it. They've watched a sunrise as the sun or the sun set over the north rim of the Grand Canyon. They've taken in the color change of all the rock sedimentary levels changing color as the sun sets. They've experienced the thrill of being on the edge, taking in this large spanse of space. They've been moved by it. They've been captured by the wonder of it. You see, five million people a year don't go to the Grand Canyon to learn the, the stats. They go to experience it. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I don't want you just to know this love. I want you to experience this love. I don't want this love just to be in your head. I want it to be in your heart. You see, because this, there's a gap between intellectual and experiential. And on this gap, it, it's a problem because it causes us to, to strive and to work. You see, if you know God's love intellectually, this is my main point for you. If you know God's love for you intellectually, but not experientially, you will work and perform rather than rest and receive. If you know it intellectually but not experientially, you're gonna work and perform and try to earn that feeling, earn that experience rather than rest and receive it from him. Now this gap is not huge. It's not huge at all. If you literally think about it, it's this gap between your, your mind and your heart. For me, that's about 17 inches. For you, that could be more or less, but for me, it's 17 inches this gap between intellectually knowing God's love and experientially knowing God's love. But the problem is this little gap will mess you up. This little gap will mess up your life. You'll spend your whole life trying to cover 17 inches by working and striving and earning and pleasing. And am I in good standing or bad standing with God? Does he love me today? Does he love me today? This 17 inches. And not only will it affect you, this 17 inches, it's going to affect those around you. Because when you don't rest and receive God's love for you, what happens is then you make others around you perform and work to receive your love. And it puts that burden on them. 
And so in a moment here, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10 and see an example of two ladies, Mary and Martha, one who's striving and working, one who's resting and receiving. As you're making your way there, i got to be honest with you, I'm naturally a bit of a performer. I mean, ever since I was a kid, like I have this pressure on me to perform. You know, I remember even practicing basketball in my front yard. I'd be out there, but I'd be like, I wonder if Michael Jordan's watching. He may be watching. Somewhere in the shadows, Michael Jordan is watching. I mean, somebody's always watching. Right, and even when today, you know, when I, when I run, I'm running up and down Bear Creek Parkway, and thank you to all of you who honk along the way. I'm running because you might honk, right? I'm afraid you're gonna see me walking, so I keep running. I'm performing even as I run. Somebody's like, what are you running from? I'm like, I don't know, fat? I don't know. <laughs> you know, my parents hugged me. They told me they loved me. I don't know, but I have this bent performance, so it pushes me into things to you know, compete and to perform. And so I like doing races and I like doing triathlons and, you know, because it's this performance side. So recently is at a Saturday night service, not but a month ago, I met somebody in service after the Saturday night service who was a professional a triathlete. And so we begin talking. I'm kind of enamored. It's kind of cool, you know, for me to meet him. And then he just puts out there, you know, hey, do you want to go ride sometime? And I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that, right? And then uh, maybe I'll, I'll see you out there. But he's like, no, no, give me your number. And then we can, you know, connect and go. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 let's connect. So I give him my number. I'm thinking, well, that was cool to meet that guy, but whew, he's a pro. And, uh, but then three days later, guess what? I get a text. Hey, Steve, you want to go ride this afternoon? Oh, oh, boy. Um, you know, I'll wait for a little bit. And okay, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you, you know, 4 o'clock. So between like 8 a.m. and 4 o'clock, I have this like, what is that, seven, eight hour performance plan, right? And so I'm like, I gotta shed weight, right? I gotta consume water, I gotta carb load, I gotta, you know, and so four o'clock comes, and I'm nervous, right? Because I mean, I ride, but you guys are pro, and so we go and we meet the meeting place, and he comes walking up, right? He looks like Lance Armstrong. I mean, literally, he's got muscles bulging, veins bulging. I'm bulging, but it's more like love handles, and, you know, because you're in full lycra, right? Which is already awkward when you're meeting somebody, you know, like you don't know that well, and you're meeting up, and you're in full lycra. You're trying to hide. You don't know how to stand. You're kind of standing, you know. You're, you don't know what. So you get your bike, and you kind of put your bike, you know, but... You feel real vulnerable, and so, anyways, and then you start qualifying. Like, I'm, then I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy, you know, and he's like, yeah, I'm trying to shed a few pounds for a race. I'm like, shed a few pounds? Like, I'm like, you know, from what? You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, I've been, I'm coming off an injury, you know, and uh, <laughs> I put on a few, you know, and uh, so anyways, we, we get out there, and we start riding, and you know, and I get going pretty hard, pretty fast, you know, because I can't disappoint because I'm a pastor and connecting at Milestone Church. And if he doesn't respect me, he won't respect you. And I want him to do well here. And so I'm doing this for you, really. And so I'm, I'm pushing it. I'm going, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm thinking in my head, he's probably like, man, not bad for a pastor. You know, he's probably thinking. And so we do the, you know, the whole thing. We get back and, you know, we say goodbye. And, you know, I get in my car. And so as I ride, though, I, I have like a heart rate monitor you know, to kind of track things, see how I'm doing. And so I just thought, you know, I gave it a good go there. I wonder, you know, you know how I did. And so I, this was my actual heart rate monitor stats from the ride. <laughs> now, for those of you in the medical profession, you would know that my max heart rate is 180. That's the point it's supposed to explode. So apparently at about mile seven, it's exploded. And then from there on, we don't know what happened. 
And then max heart rate of 197, I'm thankful I'm alive. But honestly, when I'm out there, I'm not even thinking that much about it. I'm just trying to perform. And so when I started thinking about it, I thought, man, if I push that hard, I probably gave him a good run for his money. Like I probably, you know, was pushing him a little bit. So I thought, you know, with these apps, I bet he's on this app too. And so I went and found his profile and I went and found his heart rate. Now this was his heart rate for the same ride. <laughs> I mean, I knew he wasn't drinking a lot of water. I knew he wasn't sweating, but I thought maybe it was a gland thing. I didn't know, but he just... <laughs> what I found out later is that this was his rest day. He only rode with me because it was his rest day. It was basically the same as sitting on the couch as riding with me, right? So, so, oh my gosh. So you can see here the difference between performing and resting, right? The difference, we covered the same amount of ground, the same amount of time in totally different ways. And so we're gonna see that same thing here in the story in Luke chapter 10 between Mary and Martha. In verse 38, it says this. And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations, the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. That's a trip. She starts commanding Jesus. But then Jesus Jesus said, Martha, Martha. I got a picture. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I love this story. It's a little bit of a little bit of a personality test here. You know, some of you are thinking, you know, like, what is Mary doing, you know, sitting down when all the stuff needs to get done? Some of you are like, what's Martha doing working when Jesus is at the house? Like, what opportunity do you have to hang with Jesus? All right, so some of you here are Team Mary, let's hang with Jesus. Who's Team Mary, let's hang with Jesus? All right, now who's Team Martha? Like, Mary, get your rear up and help out, right? Like, <laughs> Team Martha. It's about half and half. If we're honest, I bet we kind of lend towards a little bit more of the Martha uh, than the Mary. I know I do, uh, personally. But here's the larger point Jesus is making. Martha is striving and performing while Mary is resting and receiving. You know, there's something about our makeup, it's our, our humanness, our fallenness, our sin nature. Maybe it's the enemy um, coming against us, lying to us. But I feel like we drift towards this performing, working to earn God's love rather than the resting and receiving of God's love. It's okay to work and perform in your job, but it's another thing to work and perform and try to earn God's love for you. It's kind of like a car that's out of alignment that has a pull. I feel like we have a pull towards this, this working, this earning, trying to increase our value and worth to God, that he'd love us more. And so we pull this way, and then in life we hit potholes and mistakes and bumps along the way and bounce off a guardrail here or there. And that, that pull becomes even stronger. And so Jesus is pointing out, though, that we have a choice. He says that Mary has chosen what is better. We have a choice to either to perform or to rest and receive. And this choice is significant because there's some negative consequences to this performing life. We can see him with, with Martha here. First off, when we're performing, so when I'm performing, I'm, I'm striving. I'm striving. 
What can I do to increase my value? Jesus comes over to the house and Martha, what does she do? Boom, turns it on, let's go. She goes to work, right? Performing, making preparations, trying to please Jesus by what she's doing. We're running around, we're trying to earn God's love. And also what happens is we begin to compare. We begin to compare when we perform. We start looking around and you're like, okay, I'm behind them, but I'm ahead of them. So I feel bad looking at them, but I feel good looking at them. So we kind of are hard on ourselves and we're kind of hard on others at the same time. We start to compare. You know, I know that Martha, as she was cleaning up, making preparations, she's probably giving Mary the eye. You know that eye when you have company and you're trying to get somebody to help you, but you can't just be out there and just say it. So you're just kind of working, you're kind of getting the dishes and staring at them, you know, going to the kitchen, just making all kinds of noise with pan. No, 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 no. Sorry, I'm doing the dishes if it's too loud, you know. <laughs> you know, sweeping right at their feet, you know. Like, that's what Martha is doing and just comparing. Then you worry, right? Verse 41, Jesus says, you know, Martha, you're worried about many things. You're worried about many things. When we're, when we're in control, when it's on us to try to earn God's love, man, we, we worry, we take control. It's like, okay, God, if you don't love me, if you're not going to help me with this, I got to do it myself then, right? So we jump in there and we worry, we take control and we, we do it ourselves. And then also we criticize, we criticize. Verse 40, yeah, Martha goes to Jesus, which I think is just hilarious. And he, she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I'm sure Mary's like, I can hear, I'm right here. <laughs> she goes to Jesus. Jesus is like, girl, why, how did I get into this? Like, I'm, I'm the guest of the house. <laughs> But she starts to criticize. She even criticizes Jesus. And so that's what we do. We get hard on ourselves, and then we get, we get hard on others. But this is a choice. And so we can choose to perform, or we can choose to receive. And so let's look at the positive. Look at the other side. What Mary's doing here. We can choose to receive. When we receive, man, instead of striving, we're rested. We're rested because I know that I'm valued for who I am and not what I do. I don't need to cook and clean up for Jesus, I can just sit. I can just be with Jesus. There's no good or bad that's gonna change how much he loves me. Some of us think that, man, if, I, if, if I'm good, he loves me more. If I'm, if I'm bad, he loves me less. That's not the way it is. If you do good things, you know, it's gonna go good. If you do bad things, your life's probably gonna go bad. It doesn't measure, that doesn't determine how much God loves you. The fact is, you can do good and, and God does not love you anymore. You can do bad, God does not love you any less. That blows our mind, this unconditional love of God, because we really wanna work and we wanna have a part in it. But no, when we're rested, we receive. Second thing, we don't compare, we're secure. We're secure, we're settled. You know, I am right where God wants me. In the sense that I am right where God wants me and he loves me right where I'm at. He doesn't love this future version of me, he doesn't love me when I finally get this big deal done. He doesn't love me when I finally arrived at this picture of a man or picture of a woman that I think that is God's ideal man, God's ideal woman. No, he loves me now and I'm secure. And rather than worry, I can be peaceful because I know God is in control and he's for me. If I know God is in control and he's for me, no matter what I'm going through, I can be at peace because I know he's right there with me. He's right there in the challenge with me. Even when things are a mess, he is in the mess with me so I can be at peace. And then finally, I don't have to criticize, I can be gracious. I can be gracious because 
I know God's forgiven me so I can forgive others. I don't have to criticize others. I can extend grace because I know God's forgiven me so much I can easily forgive this person of this. 1 John 4.19 says that we love because he first loved us. Right? When we understand his love for us, it allows us to love others, to be gracious with others. When I learned this verse in my mid-20s, it literally, I had a personality change. People that know me before and after me knowing this verse, because I realized I was so hard on people because I thought that God was hard on me. I made people earn my love because I thought God wanted me to earn his love. But when I learned that I, he loves me unconditionally, so with, through that love, I can love others unconditionally, it literally it changed my entire personality. Again, remember the main point we're talking about here is that if you know God's love, love intellectually, but not experientially, you will work and perform rather than rest and receive. See, Mary chose what was better, and I want you to be able to, to choose this idea of resting and receiving, but I know this concept is a little bit, I say, esoteric or abstract. It's a little philosophical, this difference between knowing God's love intellectually and experientially knowing it in our head and knowing it in our heart. This 17-inch gap, how do we understand this better? And as I was praying for you, my God, how do I convey this? How do I help to, to unlock and how to see this differently? And it, as I was thinking about it, this is the thought that I had. How would you feel if you knew that you were God's favorite? How would you feel if you knew that you were God's favorite? You, not your neighbor, right? Not the, the Bible hero, right, that we know about. Not the missionary that, that gave their life for the cause of the gospel. Not the famous preacher. Not that person that, you know, you know is just really lives a God-honoring life. But you, how would you feel if you knew if you were God's favorite? Let that sink in. Let your mind fight it because there's a fight going, no, not me. No, 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 not even top ten. Right, there's a little fight going on in there, but if you knew you were God's favorite and you felt like you were God's favorite, how would that change the way she walked into a room, just the security you have and how you see yourself and situations and how you serve others knowing you're God's favorite? How would it change the way that you pray and talk to him? Right, when you go to God in prayer and, hey guys, me, number one son, number one daughter, hey, you miss me? <laughs> right, what's up? Right? How would it change the way you pray and relate with him if you had this sense you're his favorite? How would it change the way that you look at your problems? Knowing that you're God's favorite, surely that problem, surely he's got a plan. Surely he has a purpose in this pain. Surely if I'm his favorite, then this, he must, he sees what the, he's, he sees me, he's with me, he's got something planned here. He's not gonna leave me in this by myself because I'm his favorite. And if you have this kind of worth and value, how would you, Treat others, knowing you're God's favorite, man. How generous and kind and what a servant you would be knowing you're God's favorite. You see, you are his favorite, and so am I. We can all be his favorite. I remember my dad responding to one of my kids once, one of his grandkids asking him, they, they said, you know, Grandpa, who's your favorite? And he just says, whoever asks. Whoever asks is my favorite. That's the way it is with God. Whoever asks is his favorite. Because God is so big and he's not confined to our human comparison models. If you think about it, it's quite silly that we put a human comparison model on God. No, that's how we do our own pecking orders and measure ourselves. That's not a God thing. 
his and he, that we can all be his favorite. And this sense of being loved, being his favorite is not arrogance. It's actually the opposite. I'm not even talking about how you feel about yourself. I'm talking about how God feels about you. It's completely outside of yourself. And so you're just not becoming arrogant. It's actually becoming full of God, more humbled by his love, his grace in your life. That's where Paul's trying to take it in this verse. At the end of this verse, we started with in Ephesians 3, in verse 19, he says, and I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure. That means the 17 inch measurement we worried about before, boom. We don't need to worry about that. We are filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. We're not full of ourselves, but what we are, we are full of God. That love that's so wide and long and high and deep, it begins to fill us. And here's the thing is when you are filled with the fullness of God, you are gonna feel like his favorite. You'll feel like his favorite. You'll feel that favor, that love, that value upon you when you feel the fullness. That's how you can know, do, do I, is it intellectual or experiential? Do I feel that fullness? Do I feel like his favorite? Because that'll hit you. And then when you feel like his favorite, man, it's gonna change the way you go into your week. And that's my hope, that this week when you go into your, your workplace, you show up at the office, and man, you're like, God's favorite's here. Everybody is gonna, is gonna be okay. Right, you're God's preferred businesswoman, God's preferred businessman. People would be crazy to not do business with you. Crazy to go against you, right? You're at the negotiating table. Who's sitting beside you? God, I'm his favorite, he's with me today. If you're parenting, raising kid, you're God's parent of the year, right? If you're, whatever it is you do, if you're God's favorite, man, he is with you, his favor is on you. And you have that sense. Think about the way it just changes the way you approach life. After the service last night, a gentleman came out to me and he said, uh, so yeah, during the message, you know, I like that point. So I turned to my wife and I just told her, I said, so, you know, how has this changed things between you and I now that you know that I'm God's favorite? Right? <laughs> how has this changed things between us? Um, she got, you got a good deal here, just let you know. But we're all his favorite. So my kids, you know, ever since they were young, you know, just as you do as a parent. And, you know, I've tried to convey to them my love for them. And so every night, you know, tucking them in, you know, just trying to tell them I love them, fill them with the sense of just their father's love for them. And so it started when they were younger, you know, it'd be things like, you know, I love you more than, you know, fish love water. You know, I love you more than cows love grass and birds love air. And it's developed over the years to the point of last night, you know, my youngest, she's now nine, she's learned and she's just, she's a topper, you know? And so that's what we do, just top, top, top. And whatever she says, she loves me. I find a way to make my love for her even greater. And so last night we got up to the point of that she loves me, infinity times God, times Google, times God's love for people, times all the hair on people in the world, including nose hair, times the hair on animals. That's how much she loves me. And so what I do is I take that, I just add plus one to it, right? I just go price is right, right? <laughs> I just add one to it. Just, and that's what I'm trying to just, just get inside of her, just her father's love for her. And I never have the concern that, oh no, what if she gets a big head? Oh man, what if she thinks that her dad loves her too much? Like what if, ooh. No, 
I know as she feels her father's love, she's rested, she's secure, she's peaceful, she's gracious. It's just, it's just gonna change and form who she is and how she relates to me and how she relates to her world when she knows how much her father loves her. The same thing it is with God. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of God? And that we can know this love that surpasses all knowledge and to be filled to the fullness. You see, God loves you that much. He went, literally, Jesus went from the highest of heaven, right, to the deepness of the grave, this defeating sin, death in the grave. And in between, he was stretched wide and long, giving his life for you and me, that through this demonstration of his love, there'd be never any question that you're his favorite, that he did this for you, that he died for your sins, that he loves you this much. There'd be never a question. And so today I want you to bow your heads and I want you just to say, God, thank you so much for your love for me. Thank you so much for, for what you did on the cross for me. Thank you so much, Lord, for the efforts that you have gone to communicate your love for me, your value for me. Thank you so much, God. I'm sorry if I've limited. I'm sorry if I have not allowed you to fully love me, to fully show yourself to me. And God, I don't wanna just know you intellectually. I wanna know you experientially. I wanna live in the wonder of your love. I wanna feel like your favorite. For some of you here today, maybe it's the first time that you're learning about a God that loves you, that gave his life for you. You can have a relationship with this God simply by admitting that you're a sinner, the knowledge and the fact that Jesus died on that cross for your sins, all of your sins. He died for you. And all he asks is that you would just acknowledge what he did for you on the cross, believe that he died and rose from the grave, and then invite him to now be the Lord, the boss of your life. And as you pray that in your heart and you tell that to him, what happens then is he sends his Holy Spirit to come live inside of you, to seal that, to begin to reveal his love to you more and more in your heart. He calls you into a relationship with him to walk, to know him better, and to spend eternity in heaven with him. God, I pray for all of us this week that even tomorrow morning, we wake up with a sense of your favor. Then we wake up, it's the sense of, God, your favorite's awake. What do you have today for us? As we go to work, as we parent, as we go to school, as we go to our job, whatever it is we do, the sense of being your favorite because you gave your life, I think it's only proper that we relate to you this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.